It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. NBI Studios, this is Truth and Justice, a crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Ruff. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Truth and Justice. This is your Friday follow-up episode for Season 8, Episode 7. And this one, as I like to say, was a bit of a firecracker. Uh, as you guys heard, I got a little bit fired up. and It seems to me that the review of the investigation seems to be very consistently revealing, uh, at the very least, a whitewashing of the documentation in this case, meaning that the detective, uh, Detective Hardy, that investigated this as the lead investigator, seems to have only documented anything that is incriminating for Deborah Perringer. I can say that with full confidence, and I can say that I feel that there may have been exculpatory evidence that was intentionally left out of the report. Uh, I'm joined today, of course, by Mr. Mike Bussing. Hey, Bob. And Mr. Zach Weaver. Hey, hey. And we're going to get right into your questions. Uh, but first, I want to ask Zach what he thought about what we've discovered in this week's episode. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications. And that's why yesterday I knew that he did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. From something else, The Marshall Project and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You are up at four, baking pastries at five, and open at six. Hundredth cappuccino by eight, two hundredth customer by nine, and there's still 12 hours to go. That's why you need a business broadband that works as hard as you do. Introducing Sky Business. With 4G internet backup and our stay connected guarantee, that's better business. To find out more, visit skybusiness.com. Sky Fiber only, 30-second 4G activation or one-off credit. New customers, Pro Plus packs only. T's and C's apply. Before I ask Zach this question, I need to point out something to you listeners. <laughs> as, as the three of us are sitting here kind of cracking up, I just want you guys to know, before we move any further with this, that sometimes some squirrely things happen in our audio production. And I just want you to know that the reason for that is because Wondery dynamically inserts ads into our episodes. And the reason I'm pointing this out now is because you may have just heard an ad, but I said, I, I can't wait to ask Zach about this. And then I was going to come back in and say, so Zach, what do you think? Which would sound really weird if they don't insert an ad right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I just, I just want to go on record because I don't think we've ever done this. If you hear things like that where it seems very strange that I say one thing after another thing or there's a weird thing in the music, 
it's because we anticipated the placement of an ad that didn't show up. So that being said, Zach, what did you think of this week's episode? <laughs> uh, I, I found I found it really interesting. I, I think the the handwritten timeline really jumped out to me a lot. How's that? I, I listened to that part multiple times. Mm-hmm. There's some things that jumped out to me that, like you said, kind of maybe add up to her being truthful. And then there's a few things in there that still kind of lean me to not being 100% sure. One of the things being her nap. Okay. Like, especially because we've already talked about, and, and this is not necessarily what the state put forth. This is just me thinking. We've, we've looked at lividity evidence and seen that we possibly think it could be more like one o'clock. Right. And she even talks about taking a nap at 145-ish, mm-hmm. which means that time is totally unaccounted for her napping and oversleeping. And all, you know what I mean? Like, right. And then conveniently falling down or inconveniently falling down the stairs. Right. Where she could be injured. Things like that that I, I'm i not saying didn't happen, but just, I don't know, they seem a little strange to me too. Well, and I see your point. And one thing that I want to point out is it, what, what, in some conversation I had on the fan page this week, one thing we need to do because of the fact that there's a lot of ambiguity still going on in this case, we don't really know if she's guilty or innocent. So what we have to do is look at every action from both perspectives, kind of separately, right? So if she's guilty and she says, I was napping from 1 to 145 or whatever, that sure, surely that would be convenient. But also, just because there's no one in the house with her doesn't mean that there aren't people that can verify or conflict that statement. Like, was her car in the driveway? Did they see her pull in? Did they see her pull out? Things like that. But if She's innocent. I mean, and I guess what I'm, part of that, what I'm saying is that would be a very gutsy move. She lived like 20 some minutes away from mm-hmm. her parents. If she's saying I'm at home napping from 145, you know, whatever that time was, then it would be pretty easy if, if she was actually at her parents' house and she knows all those neighbors across the street are watching the house all the time. And they say, no, I saw her car outside here at 130 in the afternoon. There's no way she was home napping. So kind of gutsy there, but possible. And yes, certainly could be convenient. But if we're looking at it from the perspective of, okay, but what if she's innocent? Mm-hmm. If she's innocent, something that I think that a lot of us haven't really considered is the fact that she doesn't know when they were killed. The police, it seems as though, from what we see in the report, is though the police pretty much held out, held back all information on the case. Mm-hmm. They never actually did establish a time of death. So the police get there at 530. She gets notified at 9 o'clock or 10 o'clock that night. Who's to say that she has any idea, because the police certainly at that point didn't know, what time they were killed? Does she even know that 1 o'clock is or one thirty is the time that she needs to account for? That's true. That's a good point. But I, I'm, I'm loving the fact that you are, you, you seem to be kind of leaning the different direction from where I'm leaning in it, and it's making for, for some great discussion. So, so what other things in, the, in her handwritten thing, or was there anything else that, that caught your attention? Well, the the cutting of her hand, the the early cutting of her hand, you know, I think that that could be, if she really cut her hand, you know, we could talk to the daughter. The, right. You know, typically if you cut your hand washing the dishes, it's, it's known. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's known within the household. You know, there's some cussing and some whatever going on, you know. Right. So that could be something that the daughter could have said, oh, yeah, I, mom totally cut her hand while. Well, and, and, and they did speak with her daughter. Okay. And asked her, um, I don't remember at which point in the interviews they asked her about her mom about her helping banager mom or whatever mm-hmm. and it's in, it's weird because deb doesn't say that she witnessed 
either time that she cut her finger. Mm-hmm. But it, I think she said that her daughter helped her bandage it. Okay. So then the report says they asked her daughter, and her daughter says she wasn't present when she cut her finger. Okay. But it doesn't say, unless I'm not remembering correctly, it doesn't say if she helped her bandage it like Deborah said. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't know if I fully agree with you that her eight-year-old would know if she just got a little cut on her finger putting, putting a knife in the dishwasher. If she would, you know, we don't know if she would have made enough of a deal where she might have just grabbed a Band-Aid and put it on it. And I mean, that is accurate. To me, I, I guess I need to really see this cut and know more about this cut because the cut to me, if it's bleeding all over the place, like it's said mm-hmm. to have been, it's more than just like she cut herself on a steak knife putting it in the dishwasher. Yeah, and I'll, I keep forgetting. I said I was going to do it last week, and I didn't. I apologize for that. I will make sure it's up today. The the photos are so, but it's it's essentially a cut, maybe half inch to a three quarter inch long, mm-hmm. like right there. Okay, and that's it. It just looks like a little. It certainly looks like it could be caused from just cutting it on a knife. Okay, or and you know any number of other you know could have been during the murders or whatever too. But there's two cuts, so there's that one, and then there's one to me that looks more abrasion like an abrasion it's not like this looks like a clean slice and then right up here on the top of like by her knuckle or like up here Mm -hmm. there's another little cut right there so there's one there and one there and and that's another thing that i want to clear up too because and part of that's my fault i talked about the two incidents in one cut and then i've talked about cuts plural the reason that gets confusing is because i'm I'm, oftentimes i'm reading what the report says Mm -hmm. sometimes referred to as a cut sometimes referred to as cuts uh, but there were two different injuries on the same finger. Okay. So there's the slice like here on the side, and then there's a little one up here like above the knuckle on the top. And and then going back with the cut, the other thing that I noticed in the handwritten notes, and again, could be nothing, just me looking, is when she talks about that she reopened it on a stone or a rock in her yard and then goes to the neighbor to get it bandaged, mm-hmm. says the na- you know, calls the neighbor by name, says right. went to so-and-so's house. She did not have a bandage. Other neighbor did have a bandage. Right. That was strange that she didn't talk about the other neighbor, the one that actually had the bandage. She just went to somebody that, you know, her neighbor yeah. that could, you know, say the same thing as her that said, yep, she came over for a bandage. I didn't have one mm-hmm. and left. But then when she goes to a different neighbor's house, quote unquote, that she doesn't really mention anything. Or doesn't mention their name. Doesn't mention their name. Right. I, I wondered if she just doesn't know their name. And that could be. That, that could very well you know? be because honestly, in my neighborhood... I'm very good friends with the neighbors to one side of us, and I could not tell you the names of the other people. I said, yeah, so if you went to Brian and Tracy's house uh-huh. in Verba- and bandaged and they didn't have one, so then you went to your other neighbor, what name would you put down? I would have no idea. Right. <laughs> yes. And you've lived there for how long? Two years. Two, two years. Three, three. Two years. I don't know. A couple years. A couple years. Yeah. So I so I, I guess we can't really assume too much. Of it. it was verified by police that okay. she did get a bandage from. Okay. It, it just, that was know. one of the things that with, with her, you know. Including the one name and not including the other. It just kind of caught my eye. But you're right. Now saying that out loud. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. 
No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah, that didn't catch my attention nearly as much as the fact that she never mentioned her dad. That that was a big one, too. Um, and I had some conversations about that with... Um, Wendell and Steven, two guys that do you know, the kind of we've had Wendell on the show. Mm-hmm. Steven's a, a a guy that does some statement analysis work, or he's in training for statement analysis. And we were talking about it, and and it's funny because I kind of when I was reading the report, I thought this looks very suspicious to me. Like why? That, like it's weird that throughout the interactions in her day that she's documenting, we know that if if what she writes is true. Mm-hmm. And what we know happened just from seeing the neighbors seeing her there. She was there when her mom wasn't there. She had interaction with her father, but he's completely left out. Now, there's a few schools of thought there. Um, I'm in the minority in it, but the, the majority views there are what it could be is an emotional distancing okay. from her dad. But, but, you know, one thing I was discussing with Wendell on the fan page was, you know, he's like, well, you know, it, it could indicate an emotional distance. She, got a, she, do, she doesn't want to think about her dad. Mm-hmm. So therefore, she's you know subconsciously leaving him out of that because she's uh, distancing herself emotionally. I think that another possibility, again, always looking from two perspectives, is that it could be that there is an actual, not just a perceived, but an actual emotional distance between her and her dad. Meaning, like she doesn't have a good relationship with her dad. Mm-hmm. What we see in some of the reports from the the handwritten stuff that I have that we're going to be talking about here in the next couple of weeks, uh, where they talk to some family member, where it says she wasn't really close to her dad. She's closer to her mom. Wasn't super close with her dad. And at one point, I saw written somewhere, and I can't put my finger on where exactly right now, but some one of the family members had said that she kind of tolerated, you know, they, they tolerated each other, but they weren't real close. So if there's an actual emotional distance there, then maybe that's why we see that emotional distance in the, in the writing. Okay. But then the other thing I thought, I'm curious what you think about it. To me, originally, I thought this looked suspicious. The more I thought about it, I think it almost leans me the other way. So let's look at this. If she's guilty, what's the purpose in her writing the list? If she's guilty, I could see it being to try to, to try to align her story properly so that she knows that this is what I'm, te- this is what I'm saying and right. this is what I have to say every time. But if she's innocent, it's just her strictly trying to you know, help herself place herself where she was. Well, in either way, she's giving us uh, a list of locations. Mm-hmm. If she's guilty you know, in times where she was at, yeah. Then I think what, then her purpose is she's trying to alibi herself and she's trying to make herself look less guilty, right? So if that's the case, and say she did go kill both of her parents, I would expect when she's writing that down to include positive interactions with her dad. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so if if she's she's not just recalling what actually happened, but she's making something up. It'd be, you know, I went, I, I chatted with my dad, we had a good time, I talked to my mom, we had a good time, I left, mom walked me to the door, I left. So, to, to me, you know, if, the pur- if she's guilty, the purpose is to make her look less guilty. Okay. The entire purpose of the thing is to make her look less guilty. By not mentioning any interaction, specifically not a positive interaction with her dad, I think that's counterproductive. And, and again, this is, we're reading, I'm reading tea leaves here. This mm-hmm. is not, this is just my thought process. Well, and, and the one thing you brought up in the episode that is, that is hundred percent, regardless of how you feel, which way you feel is the fact that there are these verifiable things that weren't verified. Right. The, the trip to CC's, the trip right. to Target, the, you know, the phone call to the, 
the tree place. Right. And we're going to get into all that in depth yeah, here. That, that's frustrating. Regardless of how you feel one way or the other, right. that's frustrating that it's just gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, but, you know, as far as like the mention of her dad, so then I looked at it from the other perspective. Let's say she's innocent. She really didn't kill her parents. Now the purpose of that is still to make her look not guilty, but it's but now the purpose is the the method of doing that is to give a true and accurate account of her day. Mm-hmm. So now she would be drawing on actual memories. She's not creating a story. She's trying to to recount her actual memories. Mm-hmm. If she does have an emotional distance from her dad, and her dad was not. And she, it was not a significant part of her day. You know, she obviously doesn't want to sit and hang out with her dad, according to that, because she went and killed time at Target instead of sitting and talking to her dad. She comes in, dad's there, and, and there wasn't any kind of meaningful interaction with them. You know, he's mm-hmm. sitting on the couch watching TV. She's talking to her mom. She leaves. So now when she's recounting it, if she's trying to recall a real memory, it actually makes more sense to me that her dad is not included in it mm-hmm. because if she's really recalling what she did that day, her dad, I'm going to use an air quote story, her dad really wasn't a major character in her story. Okay. But if she had killed him, then he absolutely, in in her real story, he is a major character. She bludgeoned him and beat him and stabbed him to death. Mm -hmm. Very much in the forefront of her mind. You You can't avoid that. So now when you're trying to make up a story, it would seem very odd to me if she was guilty that she wouldn't include who actually was someone who actually was a major player in her story for the day based on what happened and try to spin it in a different direction. Again, be clear, I'm just, this is just my reading of tea leaves and trying to look at things from both perspectives. I find it, I don't, you know, it could be neither of those things, Mm -hmm. but to me, it makes more sense. If she just had a normal interaction in the house and didn't really talk to her dad, that he would be left out of, you know, it's, it's why I just went to visit moms. I talked to mom. I got the receipt from mom. Mom walked me to the door and I left. It's because she didn't actually really interact with her dad. But you don't think she would have some, some interaction there when, I mean, obviously she's not, she has to have interaction with her dad when she goes there and she's not there. She's at the chiropractor and she leaves to go to Target. Right. But she doesn't state any of that. You know, she, she never has anything in there about saying, like right. you said, like you said in the episode, it seems like she decided to go to Target instead of the going way to she her wrote parents' it. house. Right. But it sounds like she went to her parents' house, then decided to go to Based Target. Based on the witnesses who saw her yeah. car there around eight in the morning. So then, I mean, she would have had interaction with him. So it still seems like if you were having a story, even if you didn't care for him, you right. would have said, went to go see mom. Dad says she's not home. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, and it, I that might have been weird. the... The truncated up. And then it makes me wonder, like, did she, like, pull into the driveway and sit there, realize mom was gone, and then leave? Mm-hmm. But then how would she know where she was? Yeah, I, I don't know. Or, yeah, it, it's, you know, the, I mean, her story makes sense except for the fact that, you know, the way she wrote it would make sense except for the fact that we have all these witnesses that said she was there. Mm-hmm. They saw her car there earlier in the morning. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it could be, or it could just be, you know, that's why I kept saying meaningful interaction, mm-hmm. you know, where it just it just wasn't anything that, Stuck in her mind that she said hi to your dad and he said your mom's not home and she left. The other thing with the witnesses that you just said too is with her, you know, there's witnesses that say she was there, you know, we saw her in the morning and then we saw her again about 10, but you don't really have any witnesses up to the coming and going, which is another strange thing to me. Yeah. The only, the only indication that maybe there was a coming and going, it could just be a false memory, 
is the one witness who said that they saw a car on the driveway mm-hmm. and another witness like at that right about the eight o'clock hour at that same time said her car was in the street was maybe they saw her like pull into because depending on she was parked on the side of the road right and you got to get in the right direction mm-hmm. so if she came from would be the uh the northwest you know she went the other side of the road she might have turned into their driveway and then backed out into the road so that she was facing the right direction is the but, that, but that's assuming that that memory is accurate the one thing in it that leads me to believe that she may be innocent though is where she says that she waved at the neighbor because right. why include that if there's a chance granted he did say that he did not see her leave but that well, doesn't he he didn't say that he said when he was asked about the interview days later he said he can't re, he doesn't re, at, at this moment he doesn't remember if or when he saw her leave okay but what i'm getting at is if you're working in the garage and I see you working in the garage, mm-hmm. I may wave at you, right, thinking that you saw me and you may have no idea that I passed, right. Meaning that I, you know, I'm going to say that I waved at you, mm-hmm. thinking that you saw me for sure, right. Now, even if, regardless if you say it or not, doesn't mean anything. But I'm putting that on you, right. Where you could for sure say no. There's no way. But because you waved, you waved at them because you thought they were looking at you, yes. so you would assume that they were... And he admitted to... I don't want to say admitted because that sounds wrong, but he already said he was in the garage, right. which places him in the appropriate place. Yeah. In and out throughout the entire day. Um, you know, so getting at what you, what you would touch on there, which is the, you know, the, 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 to me, the major bulk of the episode, the, important, the most important part is all the things that are left out of the report. And I said it in the episode, I'll say it again. There is... You, nor anyone else, will ever convince me that a detective as thorough as Matt Hardy, based on, I mean, document every single phone call with the sister, every single conversation with the family members, every detail of every bruise, and just went to, you know, scorched earth to track down every little thing anyone said about Deborah. You will never convince me that when they think the time of death is around 11, that he has an itinerary, and then later a a statement from her that says at eleven o'clock I was at CC's Pizza. You will never convince me that he did not go to CC's Pizza to verify that. There's not there's, as I, I think I said in the episode, not a fucking chance that happened. And so the fact that that's left out of the report, as I said, like like this is never in a million years that I think when we get into, when we started this case that I would be thinking that there may be some sort of conspiracy here, but. At this point, I mean, the evidence, and I know there's people that are that are frustrated by that, and I'm not saying there was, but I'm tell, what I'm saying is at this point, there is a consistent amount of evidence, and that volume of evidence is growing by the week, that there was, in fact, so now conspiracy doesn't necessarily mean aliens landed, but just, just in the fact that there was there were some shady things happening throughout this investigation in order, because I think because the detective had tunnel vision on, on Deb. But it, to, you know, to look at her list, item one on her list is Target, and item two on her list is a, a phone call, and item three on her list is that is that she went to CC's, that he never verified any, and then go down to item six on her list is she talked to the neighbor after cutting her hand, and it's like he does, he checks out item one, goes to a second place just to be sure, not sure which Target it was, so went to a second Target even, and then goes and talks to the neighbors about the bandage and skipped the most critical part in between. Mm-hmm. There's, I don't think there's any chance that happened. And the fact that that is 
left out of the report, to me, just speaks volumes. And it's scary. It's scary Mm -hmm. to me what we're going to find out as we keep digging into this. I I 100% agree. And I can concede that for sure that this was a botched investigation. I I still have not made up my mind whether she still might be the person. But I can absolutely concede that this has been, the investigation was atrocious. Yeah, well, and, and that that's the thing. What's weird is is a lot of times, like, so take the Milgar case, season six. Mm-hmm. I can say that investigation was atrocious. The, the Maurice, the crime scene investigator, just did a shitty job. And then later did some spinning in things to try to help make his case. But he just did a shitty job of documenting the scene. Patrick Gass didn't do a great job of documenting this scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I use different terminologies because after listening to him testify, I think that he, my opinion of Gass is that he made some mistakes. He was new, mm-hmm. but I, I think that he was. Yeah, it wasn't malicious. He was doing his best. Yeah. I think that even though he, I, in my opinion, he did do a shitty job of the, of the document, documenting the scene. And I'm guessing now, 20 years later, mm-hmm. if he became more experienced, he'd probably look back and say, I did a shitty job on that. Well, scene. and there's definitely a, a different. You know, it's it's one thing to do a bad job. It's another thing to be malicious right. in doing it. But Hardy, I don't, I can't say he did a shitty, that's what I'm saying. What what, what jumps out to me when it, because I mean, this is what I do. I investigate investigations mm-hmm. is there's usually consistency. This was a good and thorough investigator. This was a shitty investigator that, that, that left big gaps. Mm-hmm. In this case, he is, if you follow, if you track his investigation, he is incredibly thorough. but Everything, not just one thing, not just two things, everything that surrounds the time of death, the window of opportunity, and Deborah's alibi, everything is absent from this report. And that is the most basic detective investigation 101 thing you would do. I mean, the very, very first thing, you need to know, okay, when were they killed? Mm -hmm. And then if this is your suspect, could that person have done it? And, and and the fact that that's absent, mm-hmm. and and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna say I'm not saying this is fact, but I, I I'm gonna say the implication, the reading between the lines for me at this point until we can get some more information, it sure as hell does look like when he looked at the receipt, when he checked out Deb's trip to Cece's, checked out the phone calls to the tree service, it sure does look that since those three things are absent, that those three things alibi deborah perringer why else leave them out now again there's the possibility i'm not saying there's not a possibility that he didn't check on any of those things Mm -hmm. but what i'm saying is you just won't convince me that happened there's no way it's not consistent with the rest of his investigation that he wouldn't check those things out and the fact that the receipt the, the big one the receipt is a big one okay there's some work that has to go into going to cc's pizza Mm -hmm. now again you can very easily verify it go there talk to the manager talk look see if there's surveillance video check for check their receipts check deborah's bank records Mm -hmm. there's all these things that that could be done but it requires a little bit of work on the other you know as far as when we know that deb was gone as far as when we know that agnes was there or the earliest she could have been there Mm -hmm. that was literally sitting right in front of him he interviewed Barbara Parks twice, I think. He had a receipt, a timestamped receipt, and at no point does he ever mention the receipt. The receipt is absent from the police file. The, the receipt never shows up at trial. It, it's, it's a big, big, big red flag that that receipt is a problem for the state. Mm. 
And, and again, maybe not, but that one is, there's no excuse for that. I have, I have the evidence log. They collected the receipt. Hardy had that receipt. And the fact that it just is completely absent from this entire investigation, to me, the biggest implication there is that it was a problem because they want to say that. And, and so just to, if I haven't painted this picture clear enough, let me just paint it clear. Let's say the receipt says she checked out at the produce place at 1045 and they went to CeCe's and found out that Deb was at CeCe's at 1125. Okay, well, she left at 1045. That means she's not home till 1105 and it's a 15 minute drive to CeCe's. That means that Deb was only in the house with her parents for five minutes. And if that's the case, that obviously she's innocent. She's obviously innocent if that's the case. And so, but it would be very easy to say, well, she said she went to CC's. I went and talked to the manager. I checked the surveillance. She was never there. But the fact that that never happened or that's not documented, and don't even get me started on the the target surveillance, which we have uh, one of our listeners, Julie. Uh, I've messaged her. I need to set up a time to interview with her, but I'm I'm not going to share what she said. I'm going to let her share it. Uh, But she worked target security at that time and has some information for us about the video surveillance system. So that's coming. But I'll quit ranting about that because we got all these questions, I know. But uh, I just, there's a big problem. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to, has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So before we go to the questions, the only other thing I really, well, I wouldn't say the only thing, but one of the other things that caught my mind was, was Brenda being suspicious of, of Debbie. I think that was a big thing for me because I don't feel like you'd be suspicious of somebody unless there's something there. Now, I'm not saying that because she is suspicious that it leads to Debbie being guilty. But there's obviously some something between those two siblings. Granted, I, I right. know Brenda is adopted, and, and maybe it's just that Debbie doesn't like her because she is the executor of the will. She's in you know, all these things. Mm-hmm. But for her to come out and, and you know say multiple times that she basically thinks Debbie did it. She's constantly calling in tips. To yeah, the... it seems it's alarming to me. One way or the other, it's alarming to me. What do you mean by one way or the other? If Debbie is guilty and Brenda really feels this way, then, you know, I mean, there's, there's a reason she feels that way. That she knows something. There's a reason she feels that she is guilty that she did this. Right. Or there's something that Brenda is trying to push away onto Debbie. That's the gotcha. other end of that. Meaning one way or the other, there's something weird about that transaction. Yeah. To me, there's a lot of possibilities there. So clearly, I mean, so, so in the, on the basic level, Brenda is constantly giving information to Detective Hardy about Deb. Mm-hmm. That implicates her. So it's either because she thinks she's guilty mm-hmm. and she's trying to help. Mm-hmm. Or the other more nefarious thing is she doesn't think she's guilty. And then you got to ask yourself, why would she do that? Mm-hmm. Which you know is, is another episode. If, if, she think, if it's in the first one, she thinks she's guilty. Well, then we have to ask herself, why? Does she have knowledge of the crime? Does she just not like Deborah? Mm-hmm. Does she did did Detective Hardy lead her to believe she's guilty? Which is something a lot of people don't realize. We saw it in a non case. We saw it in Jamie Snow's case. It's not uncommon 
for the detectives as they're talking to people like, oh, I think your sister's good for this, you know, and then you got this and this and this. And she's like, oh, my God. You know, if he convinced her that Deb killed her parents, mm-hmm. then, yeah, she's probably going to be like, I'll, I'll tell you, you know, I'll keep you in the loop. You know, Hardy didn't write in the report. I asked, I asked Brenda to let me know if she finds anything out about Deb, but that very well could have happened. You know, there's there's a lot of reasons that it, it it's it's troubling, but I don't know. Like the, the overwhelming cloud in all of this to me is the fact that I I won't say I think, but I suspect it is a distinct possibility that Hardy had evidence that Deb is innocent the entire time. Hmm. And, and and again, I'm I'm choosing my words carefully. I suspect that there is a possibility that that happened. And 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 this is the problem with not doing your job properly or whitewashing reports is it's possible. This is a scenario. Let me put it this way. This is a scenario how this could shake out. It could happen that Deborah Perringer is guilty and she did kill her parents. And because of the way Detective Hardy handled the investigation, she could walk free. So let's let's say for example the Fort Worth again hypothetical example just so you understand what I'm talking about. So let's say we do some digging and we find out that the Fort Worth PD crime lab did do some DNA testing. They did test the blood spot from the dining room table and it came back that it was Agnes's blood or it was an inconclusive test. And the the lab tech says, you know, I, you know, I just, you know, there could have been cross contamination. We should have another lab look at this. And the other lab looks at it and finds out it is Deb's blood. Completely legit. But because, now again, this is our hypothetical, because, say, Hardy is worried that, oh, that inconclusive test or that test that says it's Agnes's is going to hurt our case, I'm going to bury this report and act like it never happened. Then 20 years later, a podcaster comes around and digs it up and finds that report, and it was never turned over to the defense, now that is a massive, massive Brady violation. It is exculpatory material evidence that was withheld from the defense. I'm pretty comfortable in saying that I'm I'm 90% certain that there was evidence withheld. Whether it was exculpatory or not, we just have to, you know, we can, we don't know. But it, But in that scenario, or or let's say you know more direct would be say they found her DNA on like one of the cast iron pants, but the but the initial test showed that it was it was not Deb's DNA. There was a problem with the test, so they sent it away. They found out oh it was hers. Mm-hmm. In that case, you can be pretty assured that Deb Perringer is guilty, but Deb Perringer is still going home because they violated her civil rights and she did not get a fair trial. Because they withheld exculpatory evidence, and, and so that so whichever side of this you're on right now, meaning if you think Deb's innocent or you think Deb's guilty or you're not sure, all of us should be concerned about what happened with this investigation and the way it was documented. Because if what seems to be happening, what I suspect may be possible that has happened, that the reports were all whitewashed and exculpatory evidence was withheld because it hurt their case. That will that could either result in an innocent Deb Perringer walking free, or it could result in a guilty Deb Perringer walking free. And that is why 
our mission here with Truth and Justice is to find the truth and bring justice. And we have to hold the police and the prosecutors and the state accountable, whether we like it or not. And this has come up before. So even if she's guilty, we can't allow them to manipulate and cheat the system in order to get their conviction. We can't allow an ends justifies the means mentality because the next time it could be with somebody who's innocent. They have to play by the rules, and it's our job to keep them in check. Okay, you uh, may or may not have just heard an ad right there, and uh, I'd like to take this opportunity to apologize to Mike <laughs> and all of you that wrote in all these wonderful questions. You're selling out? like You're, you're yeah. buying the farm on yeah. this? <laughs> no. <laughs> we 80, had it. What is 84 this? comments, and I just talked for 35 minutes. Uh, we're running super long. You guys had a lot of questions. A lot of that was covered in uh, what I was saying. So, Mike, I'm, I'm going to let you ask me a couple questions. Uh, and by a couple, I mean two. You can pick two questions <laughs> out of the list, uh, and then we and then we, we've got to move along. We've got we got got a hard out here. Two questions, really? <laughs> yeah, you can pick them though. Any two, any two you want. Fine. <laughs> Our first question comes from Jennifer. Thanks for writing it, Jennifer. How did Deb come to be talking with police after her arrest if she had hired an attorney? Was she Mirandized? Did she sign a waiver? So she was not, it was not a custodial interview, and she was not necessarily a suspect during the first two interactions. So she had police come to her house the night her parents were killed to inform her that they had been killed, and they made some observations then, and then the next day in her home, Detective Hardy went and and spoke with her again and asked her some questions. It is not necessary to Mirandize someone when there's not a custodial interview. So there was no need to Mirandize her there. And uh, another, I want to jump, one of the questions that we're not going to get to since Mike's only going to allow two of your questions in today's episode. (laughs) I do know that in one of the questions, somebody had said something about uh, concerns about Deb's uh, written itinerary conflicting with what she first told officers. And the only reason I bring it up is because I did go back and look at the notes from those first interactions. And I don't see how they conflict. She, you just have to remember what we, of course, we don't have a transcript, but but what was asked. I mean, she had told them that she had cut her, f- cut her finger. And, and in every instance, it says she cut them doing dishes. And the way they wrote it was first she said it was cutting doing dishes. And then she said she caught them on the rocks. But nowhere in there, and she says that you know she visited with her mom for a short time, and then it's, you know maybe the time she said she got there wasn't exactly accurate or the same. But then again, it's very confusing in the handwritten itinerary exactly when she got there. Uh, so I, I didn't see any conflicts. It just there wasn't any detail in those first interviews uh, regarding Jennifer's question. But yeah, she, she um, those first couple of interviews she. A, didn't know she was a suspect, so she wasn't worried about a lawyer, and B, they were non-custodial interviews, so she didn't have to be Mirandized. All right, and our last question comes from Pamela. Until travel to Texas is an option, I would definitely stay away for now. Have you submitted FOIA requests for the missing supplemental reports and possible DNA reports from FWPD Crime Lab? Also, have you reached out to any of Deborah's lawyers to see if they have any case docs that you are missing? Okay, so there's a lot of things happening right now. Um, I have fired off follow-up FOIA requests to, uh, and open record requests to Fort Worth PD, 
and in those, I cited in the reports, and basically I said in, in my open records request that in my original production, there were items missing that I know exist. And I put that I am now hereby requesting any and all documentation about DNA testing conducted by the Fort Worth Police Crime Lab. And then also that I know this testing did occur because of these entries in the report. Uh, I asked about, I, I requested directly copies of the receipt. I asked for any interactions from Detective Hardy where he went anywhere to verify our alibi, specifically spoke about the CC's Pizza and the 7-Eleven. So I fired off a big open records request for everything that we're missing right now. Uh, so hopefully we'll get a response to that sometime soon. As far as the lawyers go, I'm in constant communication with Allison Clayton and have been passing information on to her. And of course, she's been listening. And I have asked her to go to Orchid Cellmark to try to get the uh, the raw DNA testing that was requested by Dr. Ambers, the electropharograms. So she's going to be working on that. And then I've also asked her if she can get a hold of the original defense file, which I believe she's working on now as well. So we can see what else is in there and see what was and was not turned over by the defense. So there's a lot of that stuff happening. Speaking of things happening, part of the reason we have hard out here is we're coming up on uh, a holiday weekend. You guys will be hearing this on what the uh, the third of July, and so we want I want to let you guys know here also that we are taking this week off, sort of, as far as a main episode. We've been going you know hard all three of us throughout the entire quarantine without any weeks off, and I decided that. Uh, the guys deserve a break, uh, specifically Mike, who's here all the time working. So in order to give Mike an actual three-day weekend and myself and my family uh, a three-day weekend for the holiday, we're not going to be producing a main episode for this week. Uh, but we do have something for you. I mentioned to you guys last week the interview we did with Jordan Geiger from the Black Lives Matter South Bend chapter. Uh, and some of you guys went over and, and watched that on YouTube or listened to it. But obviously, not all of you have, and it's it's something that I think is worth listening to for all of us that are so much involved in criminal justice reform. I think it's a conversation worth listening to. So what we're going to do is on Sunday this week, we will have a bonus episode. It'll have nothing to do with this case, so if you don't want to listen to it, you certainly don't have to, um, and you're not going to miss out on anything. What we're going to play is that Bob and Weave episode, that interview that Zach and I did with Jordan Geiger from the South Bend chapter of Black Lives Matter. And, you know, and a big part of the reason for that is in our quests, and I think a lot of you are probably in the same boat as, as us, that, you know, we, we want to get involved, we want to help, we want to, we're just always trying to figure out what we can do that can help in a meaningful way. And I decided that one thing that I think that we can do that could be productive, the reason we had Jordan on Bob and Weave, and the reason I'm sharing this is what I do have, what we have, is a large platform uh, to get information out. And so basically what I want to do is use that platform to allow Jordan to explain what Black Lives Matter is all about, what their goals are, and 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 get that out to as many people as possible. And so that is kind of, of our contribution here at NBI Studios to try to help the cause is to use our platform in order to give a voice to those who may not be reached by as many as they need to be. So that being said, if you're only interested in our case, you know we appreciate you. We love you. You can take Sunday off, enjoy your time with your family. Uh, if you're looking for some content, then we will have a normal episode drop, but it will be that episode of Bob and Weave. 
And with all of that being said, Mike, I want to apologize again for making you spend days writing that whole outline with all of those questions and then not letting you read them. No worries, man. It comes with the territory. All right. And I hope you enjoy your three-day weekend. I'm going to make it up to you. Zach, thanks for driving all the way down here to listen to two questions and listen to me rant for 35 minutes. Well, thank you for having me. And everybody be safe this weekend. All right. We love you guys. We'll see you next week. Truth and Justice is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. Produced and edited by Mike Bussing, and all music for the show was created and composed by PutThemInASong.com. Our follow-up logo was created by Zach Weaver, and all of our font across all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, Truth and Justice Pod where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. Thank you to our transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Charlena White, Kay Wood Yomnik, Ginger Fiola, Edith Swanneck, Lindsay Pease, and Jen Reese in Candela. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in a number of ways. To financially support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. On the Patreon page, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we also have reward levels. For just $5 per month, you get access to ad-free versions of all of our episodes and behind-the-scenes videos of the creation of our Friday follow-up episodes that include 10 to 30 minutes of pre-show bonus chat. Other reward levels include t-shirts, hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. Just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the companies that sponsor this program. If you have a new case you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com. Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is to engage in our investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. For all of you tweeters, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. To follow our personal accounts on social media, I can be found at Truth. Mike can be found at MurbGaming, M-U-R-R-B-G-A-M-I-N-G, and Zach can be found at Z to the Q. And don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, and tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. I'm Zach Weaver. And I'm Mike Bussing. This has been Truth and Justice. I'm talking too much, and this is going on too long. <laughs> so See, I'm, I, the, I'm the guy for that. You know, that's why I'm, I need like a I need like a buzzer or something. Yeah. Like time's up.